Welcome to Keeping Receipts, a podcast focusing on freelance life, creativity, and their impact on our mental health. I'm Beth, a voiceover artist and sound editor living in Norwich, and this podcast began with my life guru, best friend, Facebook wife, Rose, who is maker of stamps and currently feeder of baby. Keeping her seat warm while she's on maternity leave is a different creative freelancer each episode. You may have noticed that we've been gone for quite a while, and I would love to say that this was a planned season break, but... It wasn't, just a potent mix of lack of time and lack of motivation that seems to plague lockdown life. You know what I mean, right? Anyway, the main thing is Keeping Receipts is back and it's 2021. We have made it most of the way through January and in the hot seat today is Lana Wallace-Taylor. So what do you need to know? Well, Lana is an actress, a theatre maker, a voiceover artist. In this episode, we discuss what life has been like for performers during the pandemic, motivation and inspiration in a creative livelihood, and just a little bit of politics to boot. This episode was actually recorded last year, shortly after the government politely suggested that those in the performing arts should perhaps retrain. Hmm, more on that shortly. So buckle up, it's keeping receipts. I was getting kind of used to the darkness anyway. Okay, yeah, this is fun. This is so fun. Just bought some fancy new headphones. Yes. What are they? They're Sennheiser um, DT... No, Bear Dynamic DT... Bear Dynamic. It's always the Bear Dynamic. And how much of this conversation are we going to spend nerding out about voiceover? (laughs) No, I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try and keep it broad and, you know, interesting for people who aren't as nerdy as we are. To be honest, I still don't feel like I know enough about voiceover. Like, no, there are are next level people who know so much about it, aren't there? But don't you think there are next level people in every industry? True, true. If there's one thing that the um, current government and political system is sort of teaching me, it's that... We should all be more confident about our skills and talents, I think. And Kanye saying that he can run for president just made me go, oh, see, people have so much self-belief. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We all just need a bit more of that, I think. Yeah, I I totally agree. So let's give people some context. How long have you been doing voiceover? How long have you been doing acting? Tell us about Lana. Okay, so I went to drama school uh and then I left drama school and then I basically immediately started acting so that's probably what um that's six years ago now so I've been acting for about six years properly and then voiceover it's hard to count really because I started doing audiobooks probably about three years ago maybe now and then I kind of had a little break from it not a little it wasn't a conscious break it's just that I was doing less of that sort of work for a little while and then I kind of realized that I should I mean always the case you've always got a side hustle on the go Mm -hmm. you're always um you've always got to you're always thinking about money on the side like yes I'm doing acting but what's paying what's paying the bills your bread Um, and butter I went to a freelance training (laughs) seminar once and they were like your bread and butter just needs to be something that you can count on so that you're not terrified while you work on the filling which is the more exciting bit Yes, and that is kind of what I've made it my mission for voiceover to become, Mm. which it kind of is now, which is really nice. Um, So, yeah, so I started doing other kinds of projects. And 
my goal this year was to really make that a massive priority. And I don't know if I'd have done that to the extent I have without COVID, actually. Interesting. Um, I suddenly, as most people did, had lots of time. And, um, And I got some interesting projects but through that, basically, through just dedicating more time to it. Um, At the beginning of lockdown, I did the thing where I was like, okay, I've got all this time and I'm not going to freak out. I'm just going to take on the projects that I normally wouldn't be able to because, and they were unpaid. So I was like, I'll take on some unpaid stuff in a kind of different area of work and I just won't panic about the lack of the lack of voiceover work. And then actually voiceover work picked up pretty quickly and I was like, oh, I've massively oversubscribed myself to free projects when actually I should probably make some money. Did you work for free when you're saying all of this like creative additional projects? I did I work for free? No, actually. Mm. But I don't think I had a much of a choice. Like if I'd strangely covid sort of put paid to my ended my working for free sides as well so i have a theater company called brick dust and we were working on a um we're hoping we will eventually produce this horror show that we're putting together and we had a rehearse reading planned at a sort of big venue the week of that everything closed basically and we'd invited loads of industry and it was going to be this huge thing and I mean I wasn't getting paid for that really so that ended as well it's strange being in an industry where it's all about communication that's literally every aspect of what I do is communicating with people so it's been really interesting to see how that has shifted and moved both in terms of what I do day to day and also I mean just generally theatre 90 eight percent of theater just isn't happening so that's um yeah how has that felt how has that felt since March obviously was that really disappointing when it couldn't happen the way you had it planned in March but is it something that's still very much in the pipeline or is it dead in the water right now like where are you at with it so it's not dead in the water it's really it's not dead in the water at all I'm really looking forward to doing it when we can however it's going to take people who are bigger fish in the industry than me to take those initial risks because, you know, I worked on a project last year where we raised a lot of money to do it. And when you're going to people, asking them to invest in your work and in your company and in your projects and in you, they need to have faith that they're going to get their money well, most of, in terms of theatre, most of at least their money back. And I just don't have those connections with people. Maybe I, maybe that's a bit of self-doubt coming. I don't know. I, I was going to say, a huge part of it is also you believing that you can make their money back, right? Like you believing in it. It is. And at the moment, I don't. And that's the thing. It It's um, because who knows what could happen. If there's like, even if you plan a show for spring right now, if a local lockdown happens, say you're you're doing a show in Manchester or whatever, then we put it there. Who knows? I mean, the northwest, especially, and the northeast are, you know, really getting hammered, as we've yeah. seen in the news this weekend with um with the local lockdowns and stuff. And I yeah, you just there's no faith in whether people are gonna be able to actually go or whether there's gonna be an appetite for people 
to want to go out initially in March I all thought this would be over much sooner yeah I think we all did a bit yeah yeah and I was like no people will want to go out harder than ever once this is all over and and I'm not sure now about that I just um, don't I just don't I can't really look at it too hard it's sort of like when you stare at the sun and it'll make you go blind like I can't really drill down and look at all of the facts and figures because at the moment I'm like I don't understand how the entertainment industry are going to recover. And it's not just the entertainment industry, obviously, but that's where we are. That's what we do. It's interesting where, so say after like a terrorist attack or something, the West End takes a while to recover from that, which not everyone might realise. But if there's something that happens in the city of London, then it, it does sort of, impact have, have an impact but yeah people's confidence mm. when you wouldn't necessarily think it would and so after this who knows who knows i don't i know i was getting kind of used to sunny How are you feeling about what has been said lately about just how the government and I think the large portions of uh, the British population see the performing arts and see actors and see theatre in general, perhaps? But I am frustrated is a kind of uh, mediocre word for how how I feel about the language being used about uh, performance art. So I have a friend called... uh, Ben O'Mahony and he put up this um post on Instagram he's an actor um and it which totally surmised it I mean I can't remember the words exactly but credit him with the with saying it and I hadn't realized it myself until that point the reason I'm so frustrated in Rishi Sunak saying well perhaps we should look to other careers just shows a total lack of knowledge from government ministers uh, Oliver Dowden, in particular, who's the you know Minister for Arts and Culture and um, Entertainment, whatever the full sport, DCMS they call it, Department for Culture, Media and Sport. They they have no idea that creative freelancers do other jobs anyway. Mm. You don't need to tell me <laughs> to do another job because I've been doing it for years alongside. As a freelancer, you just hustle, don't you? You. Totally. Um, You've and always got so many plates spinning. Why because don't they know? Don't... If you're representative so... of that of that industry in gov- at government level, why don't you know what the day to day is like? Because government ministers, I mean, not to get too political, but government mm-hmm. ministers very rarely have any experience in the field for which they represent. They just shuffle around in a political sort of point scoring career progression kind of way. Um, it's a great. It can be a great career politics and. They, they, they just don't, they, freelancers, I didn't realise um, until this whole thing, seeing stats and stuff, how there is a huge number of creatives that make up the freelance population, shall totally. we say, yeah. like yeah, yeah. quite a lot. Um, and they just have no idea how it works. They've, they've not got a clue. Apart from people like, you know, Tracy Brabin, of course, and people who were actors before, or freelancers, you know, Um, Who understand, who just understand the lifestyle. But I think how narrow-minded do you have to be to not see that you sit and enjoy the fruits of that labour? Chances are even an MP will watch BBC iPlayer from time to time, will listen to Spotify to their favourite music. I mean, I can't imagine Boris Johnson settling down to a Spotify playlist, but he must enjoy (laughs) culture on a level. Like, he must do. The fruits of the... 
labour of a creative industry that they then turn around and say, yeah, maybe you should do something else. I, they, it's so hard to surmise how they, their lived experience informs what they do from day to day politically. I understand at the moment that there are a lot of people in a queue for money. There are a lot of people saying, you know, from the beauty industry to um, hospitality to airlines. But the thing is, I mean, when you think EasyJet got 600 million quid Mm. from the government, Mm -hmm. the entirety of our sector, arts, that we're talking from places like the National Theatre, the Royal Opera House, to, you know, uh, a small arts venue in the outer islands on Scotland. Like, everyone, National Trust venues, uh, music venues, galleries, museums, every single cultural institution in the UK got 1.57 billion, which is less than three times what EasyJet got alone. Just EasyJet. That, that that is mad and especially at a time when we should be moving away from from air travel and we should be moving away from mm, mm-hmm. interesting you know, yeah good point but th- i mean art will always continue it always has but it's going to be shrunk art is one of the uk's greatest cultural ex but greatest exports not cultural ex- like in in any form in theater in music and people know us for that not for banking or for you know and, flights <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it's it's one of the most increasing set like it just frustrates me um that they don't care yeah. no I know exactly I know exactly and, and sorry to throw the political questions at you it's just a kind of timely thing oh no I love that stuff when you say that art will continue has so has it affected your spirit at all that kind of attitude or has it made you go do you know what no way like the fight is the the flames have been lit even more so and the fight is there so I'm working on a project at the moment that is about a a club it's a northern soul venue um which was in my hometown of Wigan called Wigan Casino and I have been writing that show throughout this time and one of the things that I've taken out of this experience of COVID whilst writing that and I think that will be that I want to be really present is in it is that people come together to have there's something about community and enjoyment of art in that sense of music of it it brings people together in a way that nothing else can Last night, for example, I just really wanted to listen to some music. Throughout this whole time, I've really craved being in an atmosphere, stood close to people I don't know, (laughs) which sounds kind of weird, I suppose, but... No, I know exactly what you mean. The things that I'd never realised. I miss live music so much. I miss gigs so much. And I didn't really see that coming. It's like a shared experience, a moment with strangers that is so powerful when you are so invested in something, whatever's happening on stage or wherever you are in the street or and knowing that other people are having that same, it sounds quite spiritual, but it's just a bit, it's mm. magic. And it makes me, I think, all of the things we can't do right now, 
are what life is all about for me. I've made a career, or I tried to make a career, out of all of the things that we can't do. So, and that that is kind of frustrating, but I know that once this is over, to an extent at least, I... I still have that passion for it. And it's going to be cherished, I think, by audiences in a way it hasn't been cherished before. Completely. Um, And just to value, I didn't realise what we had until it went. Yeah. Um, I I used to go to the theatre for a while, like three times a week. So to not go at all has been really strange. But there's loads of great online work and there, there are... There's stuff to enjoy, but what again, sort of watching something online for me, it's about community, and you you can't get that online. Yeah, it's very different. It's very different. Yeah, yeah. So to think about a creative life and the choice you said just then that you you chose to make these things to make a career out of these Mm -hmm. things out of performance and enjoyed. Uh, creative activity and the experience, the community experience. Mm-hmm. How has that creative life been? I'm really interested in the choices that creatives make to choose an alternative lifestyle, essentially. Um, and I've been reading Liz Gilbert lately, A Big Magic, and me and Rose talk a lot about the artist's way and all of those kind yeah. of things. So how have you felt? You're six, seven years in yeah. since graduating. Yes. How have you found the first seven years of that creative lifestyle choice? I think there are massive ups and massive downs. The thrill of it is that one day something can arise, an opportunity can arise on a Wednesday and by Friday it's happening or has happened mm. and there's that thrill of of doing something new and fulfilling you know I used to work at a cinema or there's loads of things I've done in the meantime when I wasn't doing voiceover anyway to like fill that filling was worthwhile for a week of the thrill of doing something new Mm. that's it I think that's what people especially with acting that's what I chase and I am prepared to you know, do all of the freelance things, for example, like maternity leave and pensions totally. and all oh of my God, the I think about maternity leave and pensions all the time. Stuff <laughs> that you have to do yourself and, you know, it, I, I'll do all of that, not go to a regular office and have, you know, friends in a, yeah, I'll, I'll make all of those sacrifices just for, it's a gamble, it's always a gamble, but that they come, these things come from the strangest of places and you meet such amazing people along the way that it just kind of all becomes worth it. In the beginning, I think it was a lot harder because you, the, the further you go down the rabbit hole, the more people you meet along the way to help you. And um, although it's not a regular office environment, you do... Um, become connected to people that you would never have met. And also, this is a bit of a tangent, but I I think I'm a much more confident person being a freelancer, a creative freelancer, than I would be had I worked in an office just purely from um, having to meet new people 
all the time and go to new places all the time. I think that's a really unique thing in most jobs to have to go to a different location like once a week or twice a week or, you know, yeah. Every time I show up in studio, yes, there's a microphone. That's the similarity, right? But the... (laughs) The voice director's different, the creative director's different, the client is different, the sound gen- engineer's different. Even when you go to the same studios in central London or wherever, unless it's for the same client, which is great, but not, not the norm, then everything's different. And every time I'm sure, sh- and most of the time, let's be honest, I'm talking to myself in a padded room at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But when I go to work, if, if work was a kind of, a kind of specific place, everything's different and that is that is rare I think that is that is a unique part of this job yeah totally and people say the variety is what they love right like that, that is the kind of central thing the variety and the freedom I was looking at a post on a Facebook group um, called freelance heroes <laughs> and someone had asked what's your favorite thing about being freelance and overwhelmingly the responses were the freedom the flexibility and the variety I don't know how I, how I would fare now in a nine to five i i think it would having had this freedom like freedom and flexibility and everything you just described if something happened that meant i mean i i hope to god it wouldn't but if something happened that meant tomorrow i had to you know do a a normal a normal or, or a job like that i think i'd really struggle more had i not gone straight into it from school my parents say that to me all the time they're like you are ruined now you've been freelance since you were 22 you've never had a boss you will never (laughs) you will never cope well with authority (laughs) um they're not really all that brutal about it but i I, i'm not sure i'm consider. i am considering dipping a toe outside of the freelance world i don't know when and it probably you know years down the line but i think i do need to try on the other shoe just to see which one I prefer. <laughs> is that crazy? I I think that is a bit crazy, actually. <laughs> yeah, because I hate people. To, I think one of the reasons I do this is because I hate people telling me what to do. I, know, I, I, I know. really, which sounds so like, you know. But imagine, right, imagine waking up and not having to hustle. Imagine knowing that all you've got to do today is arrive at that place and sit there and do your work and then you get to go home and you don't have to monitor your social media likes and you don't have to think about how you're presenting yourself to a client. And this is in my dreamland where a real job, traditional job, let's call it, is probably not like that at all. Of course you're hustling. Everyone's hustling to a degree. My friend who works in sales is just like, but every job is hustling and every job is selling yourself and every job is worrying about how you come across to clients. So I'm like, "Mm, maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I suppose it's about accountability. When there's that responsibility of if you don't get up and hustle, you don't get paid. Like that's the that's the motivator. That's what puts fire, you know, Mm -hmm. under your belly. Yeah, in your belly. Yeah. Okay. So what what are the main challenges then of a creative life for you? Well, some days I don't want to hustle. Mm. some days this morning was a bit of a challenge getting out of bed weekends sometimes find I find myself working on a Saturday sometimes and for for work like reasons and it's necessary to work on a Saturday for some of the things I do and and weekends and 
And I don't, then I'll feel guilty taking off a Wednesday. I think we are kind of programmed at school. Sundays are, are the day of like getting ready for Monday. And then we do Monday to Friday, nine till five. And on Friday at the pub, if you're in the pub, everyone's really happy because it's mm-hmm. a Friday. And even on Thursday, everyone's getting to the point where they're happy. And then Saturday's off and Sunday's off. And well, Sunday's kind of that, oh, it's Monday tomorrow. And I cannot get out of Sunday is, oh, it's Monday tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And oh God, it's bad if I take off a Wednesday. I find but it, I feel guilt. What is the guilt. weird guilt? What is that about? What's the weird guilt about? Because I do it as well, especially if I've worked, you know, I'm doing some evening classes at the moment, which are work because I'm I'm kind of developing my mm-hmm. skill set and I'm working. So Thursday nights, I don't finish until 10 p.m. every Thursday. And those additional hours, heaven forbid, I don't start until noon on Friday. And this is all... I can't do it. I feel too guilty and like I'm not, I never feel like I'm working hard enough. Yes. Yeah. But I also think that's maybe a personality trait Mm. that has led us to this kind of lifestyle anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. So it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Yes. So I don't know if we do that job, this job, if we didn't necessarily feel like so. I mean, you have to have so much motivation and confidence to not motivation you have to have you have to know that you get up and you start work again like I said before otherwise you don't get paid and that's more challenging for some people than others and yeah I do feel like maybe I, I do this career because that's who I am anyway actually yeah that's a nice way to think about it actually that's that's kind of a lovely way do you feel confident because you know as an actor everyone will assume that you're the most confident person in the world but a lot of actors I know are also you know it's an extremely vulnerable profession and voice acting is too but I also think that in a way because your face and your body are attached to the other type of acting that there's there's more vulnerability in that massively um do I feel confident I that's a really good question I am a confident person and I am I feel very lucky to be quite assured in who I am and what I want. And you're very I... popular because I did hear that message too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um I cuz I everyone thinks I'm confident basically. It's like I don't know, because people do and have always throughout life and then I find this huge irony in the fact that I am crippled by self-doubt that mental health over the years has waxed and waned I'm sure it has with everyone but from an outward persona people don't get that straight off the bat with me and then I have to sort of explain to them why I'm rubbish (laughs) I think maybe the reason I'm finding this hard to answer is because I feel as though I have to portray that I'm very confident all the time Mm -hmm. and obviously with as the amount of rejection that I receive I was asked to go to my old school recently and talk to them about like my job and what I've done. So I talked about rejection basically. And I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that idea. Standing in front of the youth, crushing their yeah. dreams. Yeah. yeah. Well, not crushing their dreams, but like, I think you're made more confident by overcoming people telling you no, because once you realize that 
you don't burst into flames every time mm. that 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 makes you more confident and resilient i think is maybe a a better i i feel resilient and that gives me confidence not always okay. resilient but no and most, there are going to be good days mostly days. resilience yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so question do you consider yourself a businesswoman the more I do voiceover the more I'm trying to but (laughs) with a creative when I say create I mean sort of theater making producing writing acting Mm -hmm. when I say that voiceover is very creative but I think for me personally voiceover is more of the job it's an interesting one actually because it is creative yeah. But a lot of the time you aren't making creative choices. You're being told by the client exactly what they want. When you yeah. get to do animation and you get to do video games, super creative, right? Or audio dramas or when you're doing characters, very creative. But I would say commercial. Am I at my most creative when I'm doing a, a commercial read? Probably not. <laughs> which is which is what I seem to have worked on more this year. Um, mm. Which is why, again, I made that that definition. But when I'm doing sort of that theatre stuff, no, I'm I'm not a business person at all. It's interesting because voiceover work, it, it, you very much are in charge of the marketing, which I hadn't really realised was such a crucial part. And you get to be quite creative in that. But you, you really need to know about your website and SEO and how to properly communicate with your clients and good marketing and bad marketing and kind of... I hadn't ever considered that as being quite an important part as well as tax and you need to know about finance and that's not such a creative part but it it, it doesn't feel that regimented when you're an actor because I suppose in my head I'm not an actor but I envisage it to be auditions where you get to mm-hmm. be creative and an agent who deals I mean voiceover agents are the same but an agent specifically who deals with the money side of things yes and is there as much marketing when you're an actor I mean there's Instagram isn't there but I don't really use my Instagram for acting with with acting my agent deals with all of the contracts all the negotiation we're a team and that is yeah I feel like I turn up when I'm told to I do what I'm told to and and I like that um about it it takes an element of pressure off that I don't I don't have a voiceover agent so I don't have that in that field I mean I do have a voiceover agent and I gotta say it doesn't feel the same where the rules and the lines are very clear I have had a different agent she was very lovely but also that was a very different relationship um so it does differ a lot between sort of who you're with and what their style is and how they want to operate and but again I work on such a range of things so I feel like when I'm producing a show then yes I'm very much like businesswoman whereas like at the moment during lockdown I've been like writing and and doing all that stuff and then I don't feel like businesswoman then I don't know how I've ended up in a space where I've managed to have such an eclectic range of things that that I'm doing and I sometimes struggle with that as well it's not like I'm just you know a lot of of voiceover people on that I've met or like met on zoom stuff over lockdown and it seems like you know that's their thing voiceover is their thing and Mm. they spend every day working on voiceover and doing whatever and but 
perhaps I've got too many fingers in different pies. I don't know. That's a constant battle with me as well. And so I've been having some life coaching. And at first, when I started life coaching, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if this is going to be for me. I, I kind of did a few sessions with someone who was training as a life coach. And I have fallen. I think it is well worth it. If, if you're listening and you've considered it or you'd even if you think mm, not sure if that's for me during lockdown I have some session I've had some sessions to like really help me establish who I am creatively and and how all of these different things tie in with with what I want to do going forward in the future but also you know trying to make them all the same thing basically mm, I just think that so the cynical part of me Mm-hmm. toes curl life coach oh it's so american oh, it is it's, just, yeah. it's also bleh. and i think that that comes from a place of fear because actually the very very small amount of uh i've never had a life coach but i have <clears throat> excuse me been to um actually over lockdown again some online things um all about motivation and all about confidence and all about and that the person delivering those would call themselves a life coach and I'm actually like, it's massive, isn't it? It's major. And I don't, it feels quite generational. It feels like it appeals more to our age group than maybe my siblings are 15 years older than me. Even that age gap, they're less into the kind of um, mental health, holistic treatment, like all of that kind of side of things. So I wonder if we are the, <laughs> we are the target market for this kind of thing, but it also seems to make a huge difference to us. I'd agree. For me, that's as you say, the title of it sounds very American, life coach. And I was also nervous of it. You know, I once went to a palm reader because I walked past and I thought, oh, God, palm reader. Uh, Not that palm reading is anything like life coaching, but I was scared of the idea that (laughs) she would tell me something that actually rang true with. So I went in and I think that was a kind of similar thing for me with life coaching. I wasn't sure what it would be like, but actually it's just a very realistic look at at what you want to do whether that's professionally or personally and like how are you going to get there and making a plan with someone who isn't your mum or your best friend or someone who has and who thinks they know about your job Mm. who doesn't know about your job or who loves you and therefore wants you personally to you know they all have a vested interest in your life in some way they don't have an objective view yeah yeah completely and I don't know about you, but I think I realised fairly recently over the last couple of years that I would refuse to set goals for my business and for myself, to be honest. I was always like, no, I don't have a five year plan. Like, it's just not me. It's just not me. And actually, I think that was entirely because when you set goals, there's a, an accountability. You also have to accept that there might be failure and figure out how you're going to navigate that failure if and when it happens. If I I didn't have any goals because I didn't really want to admit when I'd not achieved them or I didn't want to congratulate myself when I had achieved them. So there was this whole kind of complex thing going on. Yes, about accountability and failure, but also about going, hey, pat on the back, like you're actually doing really well. And I think there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there because it's partly about insecurity and self-doubt possibly it's a gender thing as well but can you identify with either of those realms of thought absolutely 100% when you think about people who are employed it's so standard to have an appraisal and a to promotion have, and a promotion even 
and and this is another thing it's made me think about okay when do I increase my rates at what point do I say to someone no I've been doing this for a few years now um my rate isn't this anymore it's this because I have this much more experience I have this much more knowledge someone so I follow a couple of um Instagram accounts which I really like which I'm going to shout out one is FB and humble which I've recommended to so many people um and the other one is I think it's called confidence and killing it or something like that Mm, I Um, know both of those but the second one specifically um, I've definitely had had things to do it and it's just again just made me feel better I don't know if that makes sense but just like immediately it's taken this weight off of like oh my god this isn't this isn't me these feelings aren't just me like everyone struggles with this yeah but yeah going back to sort of the idea of an appraisal is is pretty standard in any job so I think it's really important to hold yourself accountable or to have someone um who you can text at the end of a week say on a Monday you want to do x y and z but you know that it might be difficult to do x y and z say right on a Friday I'm going to text Nikki and I'm going to say I've done this, this and this this week. So then, you you know, and if you've not done it, then she, obviously she's not going to like punish me or anything. <laughs> but but I, I, I will have disappointed myself then. I'll know that I will be chickening out of it. But I also realised that I wanted to text my friends and say, guys, I've achieved this this week. Like, this is massive. I never really talk about my work with my friends. They're not in the same industry I've, I just don't and I think that actually I need to more my poor boyfriend has to hear about it all the time he's the only one that I can be like hey this really cool thing happened but actually I should start I think it's as much about yeah shouting about your achievements sometimes as well 100% yeah oh yeah mm. and I think I'm trying to do a bit more of that on Instagram recently yeah and not feel like oh no I'm just I'm being so arrogant yeah no you're not that is part of being British and part of being female, I think, that yeah. makes me go, oh, no, 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 I just need to really apologise for how, how, how I'm coming across. Like, no, just own it. I was getting kind of used to the darkness anyway. Speaking of achievements, um, can we talk about you on Doctors, please? Because <laughs> 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 I love that you've people. been on the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to be on the BBC more, maybe eventually. But I, um, yeah, I was in two episodes of Doctors. But also, you talk to, like, so many actors of... of, The turnover on it is insane. Like, how quickly they film stuff like that. A lot of people are, like, really critical of soaps. And I, I can see why occasionally. But honestly, the the rate at which they turn... It around they film like 30 pages a day like you might do a page a day on like a feature like it's it it's a complete um it's incredible how quickly it operates and in terms of casting like think of how many people you've got to cast on something like that it, when you think about how many extra characters come into every episode and yeah it's um so a lot of people have, have been on doctors so whilst I am proud of it I also acknowledge that it's a... Um... No, what did we just say? We yeah, did not well, yeah, apologise for our accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm not apologising. Yeah, it was really good. I played somebody who... Um, there was a, a cash point robbery. A cash point exploded. She got um, like a slash on her face and her arm. Um, 
but but the people who had exploded the cash point were obviously stealing the money and she stole a bit of the money as well so then she felt like she couldn't dob in the people who'd mm-hmm. done the cash point robbery um so yeah got got a scene in the uh, few scenes in the actual doctor surgery so that was interesting excellent yeah did it feel did it feel different um to be on i mean you've said the speed at which it runs but is there a level of professionalism there is there a level of does it feel different to I don't know, a fringe theatre production in terms of its um, vibe, I suppose, is what I'm talking about. Um, it, I mean, yeah, it operates so quickly and, you know, you've got to do your job, get in and, and get out again, I suppose. Um, it, it was different to fringe just by in terms of form, but my experiences of fringe are, you know, everyone's equally like doing in, getting in, doing their job and coming out of it. I suppose that there's a love of doing fringe, you know, it, 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 mm, there's associate, you know, yeah, there's yeah. a passion because the money isn't great, but equally there's a passion on doctors, I think, for people to play those characters and, and do that, do those roles, especially like the more regular. I, I would love to be in a soap for like 18 months as a baddie, get in, like make a real impact and then uh, as someone who, you know, yeah, is really <laughs> awful and then and then leave in flames, like, that would be amazing, I think. I always, I think of soap actors as just being the most amazing because it's very different, I get it. And if you're Ian Beale, who, weirdly, I was talking about yesterday, um, because I think he earns the most because he's been in, the, in it for the longest on EastEnders. Uh-huh. Um, although I should absolutely fact check this because I could <laughs> be talking rubbish. But that notion of you've kind of got the intersection there between the uh, routine and rigidity of a nine to five job and you've got I mean it's not nine to five but do you know what I mean you you know where you're going to be at what time and you've got the creativity of being able to portray a character but it is the same character for years and years and years so it's that interesting hybrid of sort of creative freelancing with a more traditional working structure I suppose 100% yeah that and friends who've been on soaps I think it is hectic like imagine I mean all the time off you're you're using to learn the next day you know you go home you learn the next day you learn it in the makeup chair you learn it you're just learning it right up until the moment you do it and then you do it and then it's gone because then you're doing the next scene and the next bit and the next especially if you have like a major storyline for a bit but yeah you're totally right about the intersection of of I suppose a normal job with a filming I suppose and was that what you'd want do you want to do that would you like to do more so I'd love to try that um I'd like to do more screen stuff but I think I I've done a lot of my experience has been in theatre so then it's harder then to get more screen work having not done much of it but I am I mean I'm oh I was up until Covid and I am sort of now a little bit actually taping for um stuff so hopefully i'll be doing more of that soon and i'd like to do that for sure for the taping for the so non-active for the non-active people, people is <laughs> like is self-tape so um auditions yes uh in your house with your you know boyfriend sister friend reading the um the other lines back at you and you then I mean again it's it's all changing with COVID I feel like a lot of stuff that you would have gone in the room for which is like when you actually go to a physical audition somewhere is is now like the first 
round, if you like, would be a tape. Um, but uh, and again with commercials, I've, I've had a few commercial castings where I think they would the first round would have been in person had this not happened. So there's much more taping now, and I think probably that's changed now going forward. I can't imagine there being as many in-person audition I think that might have tipped the scales a little bit well we shall see what's the most have you had like you know I hate this question kind of because it Mm -hmm. comes to me a lot of like ooh, what's the best thing you've voiced or where would we hear your voice or what's Mm -hmm. the and then I always pull from like well actually a lot of it is things like I did last week which was a health and safety training video for a concrete company yeah (laughs) where I'm literally talking about concrete drying um (laughs) But is is there uh, either voice or physical um, acting that is there a job or an audition even that jumps out as being like that was really fun? I did three years ago. I did a show with a company called Middle Child who do gig theatre, and um, they're very successful. They're a national portfolio organisation, so that means that they get like regular money from the Arts Council to be in the government, well, not the government, the Arts Council's portfolio of um, great companies, established companies. So like the National Theatre, for example, would be a national portfolio company. Um, and they, we did a show called I Hate Alone. Um, and it was me and one other actress called Rachel Barnes. And we were in... The premise was we were in a girl band called Disabled Barbie and um, they were two best friends who wanted uh, to be in this band and felt that the obstacles, their obstacles in life, uh, people were trying to hold them back in some way. Um, and in overcoming that, they sought to get revenge on everyone who had ever wronged them. And it was the most fun show <laughs> I've ever done. Like I learned to like, they taught me how to do some like DJ bits. So we played our own live tracks of the band like throughout. Um, and the whole idea of gig theatre is it's like a night out. So you might be in a club or pub environment. And you can st- you're st- stood up, you've got a beer, and there's live music with a story kind of threaded through it. Um, and I just love working with them so much. The whole idea is that it's live, and that you will you won't see the same thing again necessarily. So that from night to night. So say you come and one night someone in the audience fainted. So you know there was a lot of riffing around like making sure they were okay and, right. and, and all of that. And someone smashed a glass, you know, because it's kind of a pub club atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, someone That's smashed really a glass, so you're talking to them or someone put their drink on the stage and you're kind of observing that and, or you know. Th- so th- it's there's quite a lot of improv then. Yeah, massively. Doing, massively. Um, but we, you just, I just felt really empowered by sort of the team behind the show into like doing that and... And it was so much fun. I think that's probably the funnest theatre job I've done, maybe. But then equally, I really liked, uh, I did a radio advert of the summer, a commercial voice radio advert. And I really loved that as well, because it was really nice to get texts from friends in a really vain way, being like, (laughs) oh, just heard it again. (laughs) People I haven't spoken to for ages, like, are you on the radio? I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is actually me, yeah. My uncle messaged me once from like, 
I don't know, a bus in North Wales or somewhere <laughs> being like, I swear it's you telling me like what the next stop is. Have you ever voiced for this random bus company? I was like, oh yeah, that was years ago, but yes, I have. That's nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's nice. So yeah, no, I totally, I totally get that. Um, listen, we've nearly spoken for an hour. Thank you so much wow. for spending some time with me, um, making me feel like less of a crazy person. Uh, she's always not, just at, really all. Nice. not at all <laughs> and empathizing on our voiceover uh, ups and downs mm-hmm. for sure um thank you so much for having me and next year when everything is normal i can't wait to see more from the theater company and hopefully see you on screen more let's see what happens but yeah just best of luck with all of it i just think it's the most rewarding thing that we can be doing with our time even if the government thinks we're rubbish well they're rubbish aren't they <laughs> That was episode seven of Keeping Receipts. Thank you so much for listening and a huge thanks to Lana for sharing her wisdom. That chat gave me loads of inspiration to just keep pushing through this crazy lockdown in whatever way we can. You can follow Lana on Instagram at yayalana, that's Y-A-Y-A-L-A-R-N-E-R, or her website is lanawt.com. Also, you may have seen her over the festive period as she was the face of the Branston Pickle Christmas campaign hit of home. Honestly, one of my favourite Christmas ads of this year, and it is on YouTube if you didn't see it, go and check it out. So we will be back with another episode of Keeping Receipts soon. I would love to be able to tell you an exact date, but I'd only be lying. Far more fun to keep you in suspense, right? Remember, if you like the music you've heard throughout this episode, the artist is called Oliver Doldry. You can find him online and this specific song is Darkness. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Beth Davison and this was Keeping Receipts. I was getting kind of used to the darkness anyway.